I heard that last time. I was like, <laughs> I got this dumb voice when I come in. Hello. Oh. Hello. <laughs> what are you, Santa Claus? <laughs> Three, two, one. Johnny McKeon, how are you, sir? I, I'm, I'm good, man. It's, it's, been, it's been an eventful week. I, I'm on my way to San Diego Comic-Con next week. I'm leaving Wednesday, so I'm just kind of, you know, crossing my, crossing my T's and dotting my I's. I I'm guess. very nervous for today, sir. You've known me for a long time. Yep. Too long. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things that you know about me is when it comes to a movie review or talking movies, quite frankly, I'm a complete disaster. Yeah, you. I I really don't know how to talk to you about movies. You shouldn't. Yeah, I, yeah. I just I feel like 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 how some people how how you're not supposed to talk about politics with some people or like religion. Yeah, I, I feel that way about movies with you. <laughs> And so that could be quite troubling today, sir, because we have a movie guy. Yeah, the movies are his thing. We know? have a guy that does a TV show that you can watch in Europe, in Asia, in the Middle East, and in Salt Lake City, Utah, yep. across the country. Mm-hmm. The guy sits down like he's good friends with Ben Affleck. Yeah, yeah, uh, he's done multiple, like I've seen it. Which concerns me. <laughs> Hopefully we can uh, dig into that. Uh, yeah, like I mean, he sat down. With, I've seen interviews with him and Jennifer Lawrence and Martin Freeman, the guy who plays Hobbit. Uh, like it's, it's, it's. This is going to be interesting, you know. I, I really hope he kind of gives us an inside look on the industry. I hope he doesn't just, you know, tell us, you know, the the basic fluff stuff. I hope we can really kind of dig in. And this man being Tony Toscano, yes, from Talking Pictures. Talking Pictures, Tony Toscano. I normally hate movie film critic shows like Siskel and Ebert. Yeah. Like I'd rather snort meth than watch that show. Yeah. That, that's a bad analogy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that bad. <laughs> You're not an Ebert fan, I guess. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> but when I was at ABC, and as you know, on Saturdays and Sundays, there was six hours of downtime for our positions. Yep. So it's like, go find something to do without blowing anything up. At least when yeah. I was in engineering, because... I was always fixing stuff, and I really wasn't qualified to be doing electrical no, work. No, you're not. You're not really qualified to do much. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> He's on. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. There's duct tape on everything that's hooked up to a car battery. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> what do you mean those lights are too hot? And there's a fire going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I must have left the filter on. <laughs> oh, that was one thing I was bummed that we didn't get to talk to Kim about was the day that a light caught on fire during the four o'clock show. Oh, I love those little moments where it, the, I, <laughs> this is horrible. And I guess this may sound unprofessional, but I loved it when things went wrong. I it's a loved blast. it. I'm so happy. Like when things would just completely go off the rails, I would be so happy. Like, cause just so you, cause you don't see that. You don't see that every day. And it's the excitement of live television. That's what makes it good. Yeah. Cause you don't know what's going to happen because something just went wrong. <laughs> oh, there's so many experiences where I remember one time, I think it was just when Nadia Crow had come to the station. Yeah. And it was summertime, and they had something going on. And so, oh, no, we were relighting the studio. Yeah. And so we had no new studio. So we were doing the shows outside. Oh, really? Yeah. And the teleprompter 
there was no teleprompting. Yeah. Because they didn't. It's you live. Can't do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can't. You can't bring one outside physically. And I got to the station, and I was the happiest man in the world because <laughs> I didn't have to do stupid teleprompting. Oh uh, yeah. Because I took that shit way too seriously. Yeah, you did. That it's the honestly, I'll be honest. <laughs> I fell asleep a couple times, and I woke up at the commercial break, and I'd made it like just in time. Oh no, not me. <laughs> like just, I was a panicked boy like <laughs> butterflies or- i can see that i can see that because it goes both ways like i because the problem i think it's the difference between you and me almost philosophically is i don't give a shit like, <laughs> <laughs> and i care I really way don't. too much you care way too much i care way too little and somehow we meet in the middle with like a really good dynamic because like for me like i i don't i don't care about getting in trouble i don't care what people think i don't care about like messing up like i i just don't care yeah and, and I'm able to just operate my life that way, and I feel really good about it. And my whole thing, the only time you've ever really yelled at me in our three or four years of knowing each other was when I was teaching you how to teleprompter. Yeah. And I think news was going on. Yeah. And I was harassing you yes. about doing something. Yeah. And You're you like, looked at me and you go, damn it, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Cause it, cause it was like literally you were cause like with with, with teleprompting for those of you who who and don't know. And I wanted know. to fire you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I felt terrible right after too because I don't. I'm not normally a person who loses no. his temper. Like it, it really like that shows how much you got to me. I don't lose my temper. I really don't. And <laughs> so for teleprompting, it's it's super basic. Beginning of the show, you hit F12 that turns the captions on. That makes the text seeable on the television. Then you spin the wheel as the people read, and it's like pretty straightforward it's pretty straightforward somehow you were able to like break it down and micromanage oh i created it. Like, an art like <laughs> i turned teleprompting like, into an art impossible standard and you're like spin faster spin faster and i'm like i'll get there i, I remember i said i got it like i because like because like we were reading through a thing and you're just like spin faster spin faster and slow I'm like, down, slow down. Yeah. <laughs> like hold on hold on because it's a knob and you can you can determine you can spin it to however you need to with the knob it's very sensitive and you're just like faster, faster, slower, slower. Pace it. Hold on. Wait for the period. And I'm just like, I got it. Like this is. <laughs> and I was so mad because <laughs> I did a weird thing, which most people don't do. But I felt like I had such pressure to yeah. leave because I, I kind of screwed ABC. I was yeah. like, got this job. I'm out of here. Yeah. And so I went and I felt like I had to find a replacement, which totally. is. A total arrogant thing to do, not necessary. They would have filled it. But it just it, it's it's it, it's who you are though. You're a very professional guy and you like to do right by people. Yeah. Yeah. And it just I remember that so well. Yeah, like, you were like overtraining <laughs> me on like a job that's really eh, not you know yeah, it's really not that important. <laughs> it's really not. And like it's so funny. Like it's so funny because yeah, you you really did put an effort to find a replacement, train me and make sure I was good and yeah. and you really put an extra effort in. I didn't do any of that. <laughs> no, they got a guy breaking cameras now. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe it. I, I I don't even think I cleaned out my locker. Like I, like I Oh man. I yeah, it's so funny. Like it, it it's so interesting that oh man so movie fans nerds geeks yeah you've got you johnny mckeon who are passionate about movies yep and then we have tony toscano who makes a living watching movies which oh that's such a weird thing to wrap your head around 
It's weird. It's yeah. really weird. Like, I want to ask him, how many movies did, like, I just see this guy in a big lazy boy <laughs> watching 15 movies. Like, has he yeah. seen every movie ever made? I know, right? Like, that's, oh, man. Yeah. Like, I wonder if he gets DVD screeners. I bet he does. Oh, he probably does. I know he does. I, yeah. When I met him last week, because he's doing a show here on EarholeMedia.com. Yeah. Which is, wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. How that's, does that happen? I don't I don't know. How does any of this happen, man? I don't I don't know. I mean, I've heard stuff about Comic-Con that we might have a major role involved with yeah. Comic-Con. Yeah. Hello world. I'm an idiot. Like, yeah. don't buy into this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're figuring this up as we go along, like literally as we go along. <laughs> but I'm super excited because I think he does producing. I think he's done directing. Obviously, he's got a show he's been mm-hmm. doing for like 17 years. You can watch it at ABC4, yep. Good for Utah. Mm-hmm. And then I think he does morning spots with them, too. Yeah, we play segments. I remember we would play segments during the 4 o'clock all the time of his interviews with mm-hmm. you know all the actors. And they're good. They're way good. They're way good. I don't know how you're so passionate about Ben Affleck, though. I, I don't know either. Like once I saw his ass on Reindeer's Game, I was like, "I'm done. I don't." <laughs> you need... weren't a fan of his ass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. So uh... I'm not a fan of male ass, anyways. So but... if he had had a good ass, would you have been a bigger fan of Ben Affleck? If it were tan, I would have been okay. Just tan it up a little bit. <laughs> but I, I don't need male nudity. I don't need female nudity to make... I got porn for that. <laughs> and see, this is why I don't talk to you about movies <laughs> at all. Because <laughs> you bring in your your criteria for like a good film. It's like... Because I liked Reindeer Games, but you're like, you know what? I didn't like Ben Affleck's ass. That movie's an F. Like, how does that even work? Like, <laughs> that movie's terrible. <laughs> I watched Gone Girl the other day. Yeah. I got the idea that it was a brilliantly made movie. Shot mm-hmm. well, cinematography was all that. But all I could think about was Ben Affleck's ass from a movie I saw 15 years ago. Like, he should be damn happy that I saw Goodwill Hunting before I saw Reindeer Games. Bastard. You're haunted by Ben Affleck's ass. <laughs> it's why ruining you think, your movie. Why do you think he keeps getting divorced? He's got a bad ass. <laughs> I can't breathe. I can't breathe. All right, with that said, oh, let's go to yeah, break. Let's, let's let's get him in here. Let's get When we get back, the very kind man, the very knowledgeable man, Tony Toscano. This is Joey Diaz, and you're listening to All You Radio. You're beautiful, baby. Thank you for your time, guys. I love you guys. I'm pretty excited today, Johnny McKeon. Yes, sir. Why? We have a TV legend in studio with us right now. (laughs) (laughs) We do? We do. After I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Tony Toscano, how are you, sir? I'm good. Thank you guys for having me on. It's it's a pleasure and an honor. A rare privilege. Uh, I feel like the honor is definitely on our end. 
I've I've been following you for quite a while now. I, really? Uh, yeah, I uh, trust your opinion when it comes to films, and that's kind of what I want to uh, talk to you about. How exactly do you have a job that's both a privilege and a duty? <laughs> uh, well, I bribed a lot of people early on <laughs> and sold my soul to the devil. Uh, people ask me that all the time. How do I get to do what you do and 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 all of that? And it, it it's a lot of luck. It's a lot of uh, um, initiative, believing in yourself. And it's about doing it. It's about consistency, just like anything else. Uh, if you say I review films, but you only review one film a month, you know you, you can't do that. You have to review everything, and you can't pick and choose what you want either. Um, for example, I personally don't like slasher films. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, it's not what it my, uh, but I have to go see them because there's a certain population that ha- likes them, and I have to review them. So it's also swallowing very hard and going to see things that you don't want to see but showing up and being consistent. And then, of course, finding the platform and the voice where you do the best you can. You know, For me, for a long time, it was radio. I, I did a lot of radio when I was young. Newspapers, I started out in that as well. And television was, it's, you know, television I've been doing for about 16, 17 years now. But that's kind of the new thing for me. And now with the opportunities that you have on the internet and YouTube and all of that, you could really have... A voice, but it also has to do with ratings. It has to do with, again, how good you do. I guess that goes to my next question. How do you develop an opinion that people can trust? I mean, how do you become the go-to guy? You don't. You have to. You have to talk for yourself, and then find those people that are like-minded. It's it's like anything. It's like if you're a chef, cook the things you like to cook, and then you'll find those people. And I have found that if I if I go to a movie and I am the audience, if I look at it, like I just paid, you know, for me and a, a, a guest to go to a movie, it's uh, 20 bucks for there, $50 for a babysitter and food, all of that. I have to add up, is this movie worth a hundred bucks for me to go see? So I look at life like that, you know, and I don't forget what it was like not to do this. There are so many arrogant movie f- film critics out there that just are so flippant about it. And, it's this is a big night for somebody, and I want to make sure that they understand what they're going to see without spoiling the movie for them and without talking down to anybody. So you think about the audience first before you critique a movie. Yeah, I, I really want a movie to win. I'm not against movies like some critics are. You get that feeling yeah. that some people just <laughs> hate everything and they go, oh, what the hell? And I, I, when a movie starts for me, it has five stars. It has four stars. Then the credits roll, and then I start subtracting, <laughs> you know, in the first scene. I go, oh. So, I mean, it. I want the movie to win. I want good movies because that's what I'm about. I love movies. Can you tell me a little bit more about your objective scale for rating movies? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, idiot plot, you know, things that get me upset are, oh, l- let's talk about a specific movie, okay? Because I can okay. do it better. Yeah. Movie out right now called Max. It's a. It's supposed to be about a dog that's a hero. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> How's that? This poor dog trained by a military guy is in Afghanistan. The dog is telling the soldiers where the bombs are and all of that. Okay. The soldier that trained him gets killed. Uh, I'm not giving away spoilers, but this is the plot of the movie. So the dog is shipped back to USA to be destroyed. Well, we don't want our hero dog to be destroyed. So through a series of circumstances, the, the, the soldier's brother, who's a troubled teen, takes control of the dog. 
And you think, okay, well, this doc is going to show him hero to be a hero, to reach out. uh, No, it it starts to disintegrate into some kind of sappy little teen movie about arms dealers. And the dog is now secondary in the plot. It's not like about Max. It's about these kids. It has an ET quality to it. Mm. You know, these kids are riding bicycles with the force. Okay. So I just, I subtracted for that. It's, it's the movie needs to be about what it's about. Then they're sneaking around in the forest or being, being, uh, the kids are being followed by these arms dealers and, and it's really supposed to be tense and they're hiding in trees and they're, they're at their, they're risking their lives. And in the, in the part where they're, they're just inches away from these guys looking for them, one kid's cell phone rings. Okay. Well, this is new. Why didn't you use the cell phone to call for help? <laughs> the whole scene becomes irrelevant because of that one plot point that they they tried to build suspense in but they didn't the writers went didn't go back and go, well, wait a minute they had a cell phone and, and and these arms dealers are after you wouldn't you flip it open and go mom call the police i'm here i'm in you know grover's sure. mill it, it and because then then it just disintegrated more and more after that it became a silly movie and listen i really like military dogs i think they're highly trained i think they're heroic we should the movie should have honored what it was supposed to honor right and it didn't so it missed the mark completely when you are watching a movie do you and then you give your review to your very big audience do you worry about offending the writers the director the producer the company no, that it came out of i don't mm-hmm. um I actually have been in situations where I sat one time with Jackie Chan. You know, I do a lot of celebrity interviews, kind of what I do too. And uh, we were doing a movie called The Tuxedo. And Jackie asked me what I thought of the movie. Mm-hmm. So, what did you think? And I said, it's <laughs> terrible. It's below you. Right. And he stopped the interview, called his manager out and said, this is an honest man. And I, he goes, I, and he said, and that was our, the, from that moment, our interview turned into, I signed up to do, he signs up to do movies at, the, at his heyday a year in advance. He sure. read the script. By the time he got to the set and to do the movie, the script had changed. It became the silly comedy. It was more of an action adventure. when it first, And he was contracted to do it because he accepted the money. And now he's doing the slapstick. So it was not a great movie for him either. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you have to be honest with, with what it is. Now, I never ever am rude right or you know there's a way to say things that you know are 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 better than other ways of because you have things. people's careers in your hand not your really in my no. hand i mean you know, i'm not gonna sink you know ben affleck you know i mean obviously i've known ben for years but there is a way to say geely wasn't a great movie <laughs> you know and and i think they know it too and and i try i try to be really honest and fair in the movie, you know, in my reviews, but sometimes you just can't help it. You you have to be honest. And, you know, when you escape with your own soul, you don't sell out. Right. If I quote a movie, if uh, what we mean by quote, like when you see movies come out and says, you know, best action adventure of the year, and it says Tony Descano, I really believe that. I won't say it if I don't believe it. So that's how you also build an audience, by being honest and truthful. And also understanding that uh, you know, you, you can't review a Steven Seagal movie the same way you review Schindler's List. It's just not the same. So there are different ways to review a film. 
And so for the people that like this, for the people that like Freddy Krueger movies, you know, this might be the best Freddy Krueger film of all time. But again, for the general public, it might not be their cup of tea. So there are ways to approach things. Would you say there's a difference between like films and movies then? Or Well, I, I, I think that's kind of a weird thing because films and movies are the same thing. You know, there's a difference between artistic talent, certainly. Uh, there's a, you know, and you also have to, I think, give a little bit of leeway to budget. Because, again, if you have four guys getting together and, and doing a movie and then releasing it, it's different than 20th Century Fox getting together with, with billions of dollars and releasing a movie. So you have to look at that, too, and understand that this is a low-budget film, and there are certainly things that, that uh, if they had the money, they would do. But I look at script, I look at story, I look at how it's holding me or not holding me. I think that's universal. Uh, do you also care about the actors' performances as I well? I do. I look at that. I see if they're in performance or if they've done the same performance time and time again. Liam Neeson, for example, I think he's done the same character in every movie for the last three or four years. And so he's, he's now a parody of himself. And in fact, did you guys see Ted too? Uh, no, no. Okay, yet. when you go, I'm not going to spoil it, but yeah. there's a Liam Neeson moment in that that will just, okay, he's aware of it. You know, so you kind of go, okay, there's hope for Liam. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think you have to look at that. Um, is Julianne Howe right in this part? You know, it, and you have to weigh that. Has Reese Witherspoon, you know, doing this? Is, is she the best person for this? Because again, it's all about money with, with, with the big studios, they have to sell a film based on who signed up to do it. So if they have Jeff Bridges, you know, on a movie, they know that they're going to be able to get some money for it. But Seventh Son, which I really had hopes for, with Jeff, I think Jeff Bridges was the weakest link in that movie because he was still playing the guy from True Grit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think he's played the guy from True Grit in just about every movie since True Grit because that's what won him an Academy Award, so that's what people assume. I would like to see Jeff do something different now, just you know, not play that role. Uh, and Liam has said he's not going to do any more of those films either. He has publicly said that. I'm not going to do this. I'm looking for a comedy. I'm looking for something different. And, and, and God bless him because he's a great actor, but it's so easy when you're in this business to do the same thing over and, be, and take that $20 million paycheck. I mean, come on. Should there, no fools. Should there be an expiration on actresses and actors? I or- don't think so. I don't think so. Should, do you think there should be? I do. When I see George Clooney in that space movie that he did, it's like, oh, that's George Clooney. That's not an astronaut, and it throws me out of what I'm trying to watch. I think George I, Clooney. I, I think George Clooney has acting credibility problems because he's playing the same suave guy, yeah. like Liam Neeson did. I, I'd like to see George do something different. But when George is directing, he's a much better actor when he's directing a, a movie than he is under somebody else directing George Clooney. I don't know how that works. I think he's more aware of his performance when he's in charge of the production. Mm-hmm. So things like... Um, Ides of March or... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he did a great job in that. Uh, I also don't think he should be on camera as much as he is because when they use him, they use him. And women like George Clooney overall, I think you're going to get the same now from a lot of upcoming actors. Like uh, Tyrese Gibson is doing a lot more. I think he's going to be overused. And he has that fear, too. I, we, had a, we had a conversation just recently about it, about being pigeonholed. And they don't like that either. But that's kind of how the, the, the business works. 
And you got to remember that these guys were hungry for a long sure. time before they had Furious, uh, Fast and Furious and all that. So, yeah, you know, getting the idea of $20 million for the next picture, $10 million, I was starving for a long time. You know, I, I got to make my money when I can. Mm-hmm. So I think that also enters into it as well. I would like to see these guys wealthy enough to go, well, you know, that's not me. That's not me. So so how do you feel about this big, like, Marvel movie buyout with these 10 sequels planned for the next 10 years? Wow. Uh, Disney, you know, there's a moment where you have to, you have to ask them to stop, I think, and, and really consider the property. It, it really is like somebody went out and bought a lot of land, and now they're just building furiously on it, and they don't care because... Everything they're going to do is going to make money. Disney, you know, it's weird. They Every billion dollars they make, they then they fire a bunch of people. It really seems odd, you know, that the number one uh, radio station for a long time in the United States was Disney Radio. And they, they shut them all down because it was costing a little money. Disney is like that. Um, I, I have a lot of love for them. I have a lot of love for Stan Lee, who's an old friend of mine. And I think the creations that he has done have been terrific. And wonderful, but then you have Star Wars on everything. You have this huge machine that they built, and everything needs to make money now for them. Otherwise, the 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 ten or fifteen billion dollars they've invested goes to hell. So I understand what they're trying to do. I just think they should do it slower, and and pay attention to the fans. J.J. Abrams doesn't have every answer. He's a great director, but you know. Uh, they they don't have all the answers, and I think there should be some consideration for the the writers of the comic books to come and sit and discuss stuff. If it seems like that's glossed over, oh yeah, we talked with Neil, and you know he's okay, he signed off on it, but Neil really didn't. They just had a conversation with him. So I mean, uh, I think there needs to be more um, involvement with the writers, and I think that was the problem with. Watchmen, for example. Watchmen wasn't a good movie because the studios took over for it. The second, um, Sin City wasn't terrific because they, the studios now, oh, we get it. We, get, we know what Frank Miller is going to think. And it wasn't. You know, they need to, like, let the magic happen. And, and they don't. I think The Avengers are great. is a great series. I love Guardians of the Galaxy. I think Guardians of the Galaxy lost. The reason why it's a crowd pleaser is because didn't have that darkness that the comic book had. I mean, you guys are fans of the comic books, right? I am. Oh, I'm yeah. not. Well, yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy isn't that bright and cheery. It's, no. It goes into some pretty deep and dark stuff. I wish they had kind of let that happen a little bit and let the audience know that it's not all fun and games out in space, you know. But they, I think what they were trying to do is do another Serenity or Firefly feel with it, you know. And it worked. But is the next one, is Lightning going to strike the next one? Is Star Trek going to be as good as... The first one. Well, the second one wasn't. I'm sorry. I, I you know, I'm a big Star Trek fan. I uh, and it, yeah, I know you're doing this. <laughs> thumbs down. But it's true. It didn't do what it needed to do. And they, they, why resurrect Khan after all this? Why not? Cre- you guys are writers. Create something new for us. This is a new universe. We're taking it down a new street. Let's do something new. It's funny you bring that up because, uh, yeah, I myself was, a, uh, I am a diehard Star Trek fan. That's what me and my father watched all growing up. When I saw the second one, it really bothered me because it didn't feel like a movie for the fans. It felt like just a sci-fi movie. Yeah. 
You know, and maybe if it had been called something else, maybe I would have loved it. But the fact that, you know, it had Khan, you know, this this icon of a villain, and they, they changed it and twisted it. And there was no um, there was no feeling that you're with Khan at all. I mean, Ben, I liked the character more than I liked Captain Kirk. I thought Benedict Cumberbatch, he was there protecting his guys. But there was none of that seething, I don't know what it is, superhumanly evil that um, Ricardo Montalban brought to the role twice. Yeah, to the role. Uh, no, I think I think they should have gone a different way. I think they there, there's a lot more in Star Trek to deal with. There's wars. There's politics. There's all kinds of interesting things, and they could have done that. I hope three is better. You know, the guys have signed on for four as well in case three does really good. But I'm not sure if if three is going to do that well mm-hmm. because. Again, the audience has kind of dissipated because Star Trek hasn't been on television in 10 years. There's not been a new episode, new series, and that's what the controversy is. Michael Dorn and Robert Picardo and some of the old cast members are trying to get a new series going. But CBS, who they're going to, who now owns the property, is, is, is reluctant to give them a series. I don't know why, because that would certainly stimulate the, the uh, it's all advertising, you know. But uh, I think that's the problem with science fiction is it isn't new. There's nobody really writing some really new stuff, or it's so brainy, you know, that it just, it's stupid. I mean, so so smart, it's done. Transcendence, real smart movie. Nobody liked it because it, I want somebody to beat somebody up. Yeah. I want an explosion. <laughs> What's going on? Uh, I guess you get to that too. So there has to be that middle road. There are those films that do it. God bless them. I wish they'd come up with another Firefly. I wish Nathan Fillion would come back and do that. Yeah. But I am a huge Star Trek fan. That's the problem with it is I get so frustrated because nobody sees what's wrong. Yeah. I, I mean, I haven't liked a Star Trek movie since First Contact. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And even that was kind of stretched. Yeah. You know, but Definitely. oh well. well. Oh well. While we're on the subject, what is your opinion of uh, these remakes and these reboots that are suddenly you know, been occurring for the past couple of years? I, I, well, some of them, you, you, you go, okay, I can understand that. Some of them have no rhyme and reason. You know, why are we remaking this? Or why are we going coming back to... One that just came up, uh, I'm trying to remember what it is. I, I'm, why are we remaking it? Was it The Transporter? Was yeah. It? Well, no, it wasn't Transporter. It was... Um, I hate this one, podca- on podcast, where I, I lose my mind. But uh, it was one of those, they say, well, the first movie did crappy. Why are we coming back to it? Uh, it, it'll come to me in a second, but there's a there's a series of these movies that you go, why are we redoing? Why why come back? Well, there was one, uh, The Getaway was remade, yeah. you know, and there was no reason to remake it. And, and um, Does that have del- to do with hipsters coming to the scene? And yeah, maybe. Or maybe they were asleep the day it opened or something. <laughs> uh, who knows? We have a very short attention span. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man and Superman are, are, are that way, too. We just yeah. remade them. But there's no reason to retell the original story. Why are you wasting my time and going back to the spider biting you when I know this already? Let's move on. I have a great question for you to build on this topic. When I watch Superman from the 70s or 80s, whenever it came out, or I watch Rocky One, mm-hmm. or I watch Godfather, there is a great artisanship that's involved with the lighting and the camera operating yeah. and mm-hmm. the angles that they use coming in and out of doors. That is gone in television. Yeah. yeah, because you had James Wong Howe supervising camera work on most of those movies. What a great artist he was. The guy could make an, uh, a doorway look ominous or look happy with just a simple lighting change. 
we don't have that kind of attention to detail. What we have, uh, like Star Trek did it, I mean, they did it on Honest Trailers, but I have to bring it up. How many lens flares do you freaking need? Yeah. Sure. In a, I mean, it really was like, I wonder if this was a mistake. Why are they doing this? And there was no reason for it other than it looked kind of cool. Oh, it's horrendous. Yeah. Do you think it was just him trying to put a stamp on it, like that's his trademark? I, I think it was him trying to trying to create a, a um, sterile environment for a starship that everything was shiny. And it really took away from the dialogue, and it took away from the action of the movie, and it was just... It was just there. It's distracting. Share with us once in a while. Okay, that's a nice reminder, and it added to the scene. But when you have a constant like it was, it, it just takes you out of the movie. And I felt that with, was true with everybody that watched the movie. It, as good of the movie it was, the first one, the lens flares were just completely annoying. And I don't know why nobody in the, while they were running the film, said, you know, J.J., let's not do this. Because he... They're tin gods, too. They, they can't be told no. Is you know? digital imaging, digital photography better than or worse than film? I think when handled right, I don't think there's a major difference anymore. Five years ago, ten years ago, yeah, I could see the difference mm-hmm. in it. And I think there are some uh, directors that prefer the film media because they feel it's a deeper connection with the audience. There, there's, there's something about light passing through, you know, moving celluloid that, that brings you into a movie, but again, because of the, the the way that we are evolving our movie theaters, I don't I, I don't think there's there's film can be run through a, a modern theater. I think it's all digital now. Is it better for an actor to work with film over digital technology because it's expensive to take five takes, six? Yeah, takes? I think it's good training. I really do. I think actors who lived in that film era are much better actors than Me the too. ones that are are out now because they don't have that that pressure and directors don't have that pressure of this is going to cost a lot yeah you know and when you had to develop film and wait for the that's why they call them dailies now they, they should call them nowies <laughs> <laughs> you just rerun it on on a camera but i also think attention isn't paid to sound anymore attention isn't paid to a lot of little things in you know because the cameras are so smart I could buy a camera right now for about thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars. I press a button and it does everything for me. Well, that's a problem if you're a, uh, a director of photography. You have to, you have to have. You all have to the white tools. balance. You have to white yeah. balance. You have to have all the tools, and it doesn't happen as much anymore. I could tell you that. What was the name of that film with the uh, the? Was all from the point of view of the camera. Um, oh, that Cloverfield. Cloverfield. They didn't white balance once in Cloverfield. It was. But I don't know if that was because they wanted it that way. But to me, it, the camera changed all the time. It was this was green, this was white, and it just bothered me that there was no consistency in the camera. They just wanted it to to look like that. Uh, and I I see more movies done like that. You know, Chappie was like that. It just didn't have any consistency to. To, to, to the iris and, and what we were watching. Some, sometimes I wonder when I watch like found footage films if they're just using that medium to hide their lack of ability to properly direct or yeah. properly write a script, you know, because it's it's much easier just to kind of BS your way through it. Found footage film is the movie's version of reality TV. <laughs> it's it's They think it's easy to do and they, oh, you know, hey, we, we're going to go back and we're going to rediscover why these kids got killed in this mansion. Oh, okay. You know, and we found this stuff, and I think that was a great 
hook once or twice, but now you're just copycats, and it doesn't work quite as much because it, it again that style of film works only here and there. And in fact, who uh, the series is over now? They said okay, Insidious. Yeah, Insidious is done. they're not going to do anymore because this is all they can do. I think give it a rest again for another ten or fifteen years, and we discover it again. But yeah, I I don't like found footage films because it's a cheap. It's also it's a cheap way of getting uh, a reaction from your audience. But you know, it's like putting a child in danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in a movie. Oh, let's get this three year old and he's fixing his tricycle and ooh, and this guy come. Okay, that's that's a real cheap way for a writer to build the audience. Oh, what's going to happen to the kid? Well, okay. You can't do anything to the kid. We, uh, you know, if you really know the the grading of the movie, so really, it's not for me that way. But for for the audience, it kind of is. But it's a, again, it's a it, it's a lack of talent. We don't have very good writers. We have good writers, but they're not. For some reason, we're not going to them. Does that have to do with over editing the script? But remember, a script, unless you're Ron Howard mm-hmm. or Spielberg. A script is going to go through nine different people, and it's going to go through the lady that goes, oh, you know, we sold uh, some of the time to Borax, so you have to have a scene with Borax in it, or <laughs> Coke. We have to have the Diet Coke scene, the Doritos, and they put a $1,000, you know, uh, into that day, and, and it's all sellout. Really, that's what suits do, is they go, well, okay. You remember the movie uh, Thank You for Not, Thank You for Smoking? Sure. Yep. That scene where he goes, well... Yeah, but how about it's in the future? He can have a cigarette now because cigarettes are better for you in the future. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and yeah, okay, you know, I'll take the, the your million bucks and do that. Yeah. It's that's the that's those are the meetings that they have now. And remember, everybody mm-hmm. in the in in the higher echelons in Hollywood are twenty four years old. They they don't have a history in movies. They're just. They, they think they know what they like. They think they know they have a, a thumb on the pulse of America, but they really don't. That's why films fail. And that's why after a film fails, everybody gets fired and more 23-year-olds come in. And then they direct And somebody accidentally has a hit. Oh, they're a genius now. Yeah. They, oh, let's keep them. But it, it is, you know, it's part luck. It's part luck what, what, goes, what hits in the theater. You know, we just hit, we had three films in a row hit the billion-dollar mark within a week or two of opening. Furious 7. Jurassic Park. Jurassic World, yeah. yeah and and just recently, what was the last one that did it? It was uh, one right after that. Boy, now I'm, I should know. Was it the Mad Max movie? I'm, I'm, yeah, maybe. I think I think it was one of one of those that opened up that weekend, hit, hit a billion dollars within the three weeks that it opened. And, okay, now everybody's a genius. Yeah. Maybe we'll do more of these. But I, that's not really the case. The case is people are starving for entertainment and anything that comes close. Years ago, I probably would have said Mad Max was an average film. But, you know, we're, everybody's heralding it as a great triumph for George Miller and, and all of that. But it's honestly, I, I, think, I think it's doing what it should do. Right. Entertain, take you out of reality, give you some edge of your seat excitement like a roller coaster. But that's what a movie should do. So we're, we're now rewarding mediocre and that's oh, it's a theme in this country. Yeah, really, yeah. it is with everything. I yeah. mean, you know, you, you everybody wins. I, I I've been railing on this too. You know, you have baseball teams that everybody gets a participation award. Well, that's what the Oscars are going <laughs> to. Yeah. Oh, well, we all everybody released a movie this year. Everybody have something. Have and try the shrimp. <laughs> Good night, everybody. And <clears throat> I've I you know here's here's the fallacy about the Academy Award. 
you don't get to you don't get to, I you don't get to vote for them. It's all industry stuff. It, it it is the most made up thing in the world because if you if you're an actor and you're in the union, you get to vote for actors. If you're a director, you get to vote for the director. All of that. So all of this can really be taken care of in a newsletter. <laughs> because the only people that care are people in the industry. Yeah, it really. You know, but we have we made it into the gown thing, the red carpet. You, there's big money. ABC spends a lot of money on it. They say they have a billion viewers, but you know, I think that number is dwindling. But it's the most boring evening in the world for everybody because you didn't get to participate. No. So unless they open it up, like for the best picture, is have the America say, okay, what's the, and then and then what's going to happen is there's going to be this argument that well they don't know. What they like, see, and that's that's the thing is. But we're paying for it exactly, you know. <laughs> so is do we do we rate it on box office or do we rate it on talent? And the idea is, I go back to George C. Scott when he said he said, "Well, you can vote for the best actor, and you can get Pacino, you can get me, you can get, uh, you know, uh, George Clooney, whatever." And then once you have your best actor, have them all do the same scene, yeah. and then pick out who did the best. That's the only fair way to see who the best actor is. But what we're doing is we're gauging different things. So Chiwetel Ejiofor, who won for 12 Years a Slave, I think, great performance. But nobody else could do that. You know, that's not, Matthew McConaughey can't do that. You know, so it's, it's very weird that what, we're, what we're celebrating. That, that's how I felt about Jamie Foxx winning it for Ray. I'm like, yeah. is that really a stretch for him? He's a musician, you know, like... I. I agree. I, you know, so I, so I think, I think it's flawed, and it always has been, but it also has grown to be this incredible juggernaut that that people wait on the edge of their seats every year to to watch and see, and most people only see four movies that are ever out for an Academy Award. I've asked people in the room, even you know, when we're watching, how many of these have you seen? These these ten to twelve movies. Oh, about three of them. Yeah. So they're going to vote for the ones they know, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, we have to we have to just figure out who you know what's real in this country, and and I, I think I think the the awards, as silly as it sounds, are probably the People's Choice Awards. That's when people really, you know, hey, I spent my money on this movie. I really liked it. It meant something to me. I cried during this movie. I think those awards are more real. Industry people tend to be a little haughty, as you know, because you've been around them. They tend to think they're too artsy and too, the, you know, come on. You know, I had that conversation with Leonard Nimoy, you know, oh, yeah. I'm a director. And uh, look, you put on phony ears for three years of your life. and you <laughs> That's what you're known for. Come that's on. That's what you're known for. Maybe, you know, a couple of seasons on Mission Impossible. What else did you do? Really? You know, oh, yes, I'm Leonard Nimoy. I miss Leonard, but. Yeah. But I'm just saying that, you know, it's kind of a silly thing, you know. And then we all, you know, these honors that we have, you know, and, and walks of fame and stuff, you know. Where's the plumber that saved the kids, you know? Where's his walk of fame? So I think I think we have royalty in this country. We're trying to do something and, and have heroes, but I think it's a little misguided. But have I ranted enough where you guys? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's amazing. Um, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up soon. I just had a couple other questions, real sure, quick. Sure, anything. Uh, favorite actors? Who 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 do you like as far as actors go? Well, you know, uh, modern or past? Or Any? Does it matter? I'm just curious. Yeah. Favorite actors? Well, I I really love. Um, Daniel Day-Lewis, I think, can mm-hmm. do anything. I think the guy is amazing, but he's crazy, too. You know, when you have people go, well, you know, he's Lincoln, even off the set, you know. Is that really acting when you actually believe it at that point? <laughs> I you think, know? I, I, you know, here's, <laughs> here's what I've always said is, the th- and we have a group of people here that are, 
you know, actors and comedians and all that what, listening to the podcast as I'm doing, there's something inside of us all to do this that makes it's a little crazy. We're all a little crazy. And some of us can control that a little bit. And then there's others like Lindsay Lohan and a few others that that what makes them famous also brings them down to hell. Mm. Yeah. It's the thing that makes them crazy. They, you know. So yeah, I think there is a point where, you know, if you have an actor going, "Don't disturb me during the entire filming because I am Lincoln during the whole thing," I would just say, you know what, fine. You know, uh, how much are you getting paid for this? And you know, yeah. I like Daniel Day Lewis. I think he's amazing. But yeah, he's got that that thing. I also like Dustin Hoffman, who mm. can doesn't does he's acting. He he knows he's acting. He doesn't care. So Dustin Hoffman for me was always a great. Richard Dreyfus, great actor. And then in the set he'll go, "Hey, how are you?" And then he'll go back to his dramatic thing. Interesting. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, you've got you've got, but I think by sheer volume, I I think I honestly do think that uh, uh, Marlon Brando probably was our was was the best actor America's ever produced, with the possible exception of uh, Gary Coleman, who really could could make. I'm just kidding. You're just nodding over there. <laughs> Gary, I, I'm waiting to hear what Gary you're going to say. Gary Coleman? <laughs> okay, You should have just yeah. stopped me right there. What the hell are you saying? I'm trusting your expert opinion. No, I, th- I think Marlon Brando is probably our best American actor, and, and we have others. I mean, I could say, you know, Ryan Gosling does a great job. You know, do you, do, I always feel like uh, Ryan Gosling's copying Brando a little bit. Well, he does have that flair. Uh, uh, who's the other? Edward Norton, I think, yeah. is a great actor, too, can do anything. But Edward, again, is a little... You know, you don't want to go up to him. You don't want to punch the bear a little bit. You know, yeah. hi, how are you? Uh, female actors, you know, I, th- there's a ton of them. I mean, everybody says Meryl Streep and and uh, Glenn Close, and I think they're very good. I think young, new actresses. I've always loved Sandra Bullock. I think yeah. Sandra could do anything. Yeah. I think uh, Amy Adams is a wonderful actress, um, given the right property to do. I'm trying to think of... Um, what do you think of Jennifer Lawrence? Jennifer Lawrence, I think, is a great actress, but confined mm. i think she needs to break out of the jennifer lawrence thing and and i think she needs to do a lot of stage plays i really do i want to see her more doing broadway and, and and developing it i think she has the ability to be our next best actress i really do but i think she's also you know when you when you're young an actress and you sign on to do something for three or four you know uh things i think it hinders you a little bit because people are going to pigeonhole you into that role in hunger games uh christian stewart Christian Stewart, everybody has a problem with her because they think she's a monotone actress, but she gets monotone parts. And I think she needs a really good director. I think she's really good in the in those... Um, Twilight movies? No, no. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, she's doing the, the, the Snow White thing. Mm. Isn't she the Snow White and the Huntsman? Is yeah. that her? Yeah. You know, Christina Ricci is a great actress. Uh, uh, we have some really good people to work with. However, the problem with men and women in show business is that the, the fuse on women burn out really quick. Mm. Once a woman hits about 30, 35, all of a sudden we don't see them anymore. You know, recently we had San Andreas, Carla Gugino is a great actress. I think she's great, but she was in those spy kid movies early on. And so she was tagged as this mom type. Now we're seeing that she's really not that, you know, she can, she can take off her shirt and, you know, she's and, bombshell, yeah, and bombshell with the rest, best of them. Is it sexism or ageism that's throwing these women? Ageism, out? but I think women do it to themselves. I really do. I think they go. They, there's a point where we go, oh, I can't do that because no, I mean, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer's sixty. Yeah, I think she's still beautiful, and 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 there are roles for her. 
Uh, Sally th- Fields is amazing. Sally Fields yeah. is amazing. She and Tom Hanks are almost the same age. She played his mom yeah. in Forrest Gump. Go <laughs> <laughs> well, figure. But I think it's because I think women do it to themselves too. What do you and, mean? And that's a problem because women who run studios, you know, yeah. Sherry Lansing, and they, women, I'm sorry, Cece, she's in here, but women tend to be more vicious to other women than men are. Women just hate other women. And so I think, I think, in my own opinion, I think that that's a problem when you have a woman casting director and they go, oh, well, she's too old for the part. And I look at some of these women. I think the best example right now, I'm excited about this, Monica Belushi. Monica Belushi yeah. is the new James Bond girl. She's the oldest Bond girl ever. She's 50. But 50 isn't old. And look at her. Yeah. In fact, during this podcast, look at her. You know, put up a picture. She is an amazing looking woman. I mean, Sophia Loren is still beautiful. You have a lot of, uh, uh, I, I just think it's a stigma, and I think we need to get rid of it. I don't, I don't see, why is Sean Connery in Entrapment hanging around Catherine Zeta-Jones? Why isn't B. Arthur in a movie with, uh, you know, Ryan Gosling? Mm-hmm. Well, B. Arthur's dead, yeah. I think, for one. <laughs> but I'm just saying, why isn't there that age different? Why does that work reverse? But we loved it when Sean Connery was with her. You know, why? Yeah. And women liked it. They went, oh, well, he's, you know, he's Sean Connery. But there has to be reverse of this, there, you know. But that's sexism, and it, for some reason, Hollywood doesn't like that, you know. And I go to the Four Seasons, and I go to these places, and you have these old producers, and I mean old, seventy, hanging with twenty-year-old guy, girls on their arm, and you know, you know that that's, um, you know, that's life in Hollywood. Yeah. But you don't really see the opposite. Well, you see it in all forms of media, whether it's Glamour magazine or Vogue where they cut off the top of the woman's head. And what they're doing there is they're not making her human. She then becomes a sex object. Yeah. You see it in radio where they reduce the female host into a dumb woman or into a klutzy sex addict or that's a talking a, head. Yeah. And see, that's the problem. And that's something that maybe we in the industry need to kind of speak out about and say, let's stop this. Because women are as intelligent and smart. They're smarter than, than most people. And, and the, there are some men in this, uh, in this business that keep people down too. But they are women that keep other, other people down. But I think there's a point to this to say, when does it stop? You, you haven't lost your flavor at 35 or 40. Certainly, a beautiful woman will always be a beautiful woman inside and out if, if they work, if they work at it. But I'm just mad because it seems to be a revolving door who's the newest i think amy schwimmer mm-hmm. has has done a lot to help this cause mm-hmm. uh she had a she had a thing i can't even say it because i don't know what grading what rating this podcast has knock it out of the yeah, park you can but, say whatever you want but she has a thing on youtube called are you fuckable <laughs> and she has julie, julie louis dreyfus and they're all sitting around because now that these women have have are not fuckable anymore they can relax and get get better parts in theater and all that. Yeah. It's a really funny statement, but it is a true statement. It is a true statement that you get to a certain point and then you're not cast anymore because you're not sexy according to someone's standard. But I think that needs to change. Wow. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to let you out of here, sir. Yeah, Thank you. <laughs> Can I take off these handcuffs now? <laughs> thank you uh, so much for coming on. Uh, thank you for letting me pick your brain about movies. This I, I've had a great time. You didn't ask any questions. I did all. Th- I feel like I just <laughs> bowled you over with all this. 
don't know. Definitely. You, you answered all the questions that I had. Wow. Yeah. We uh, are very excited to have your podcast, Talking Pictures, on the EarholeMedia.com network. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. And thank you guys for helping us. And then, you know, of course, I've got, uh, I've got a great team, CC Chambers, who's still here, hanging around. Uh, Dylan Mazziotti and my, uh, myself and Raquel Baldwin-Horton. We all are part of the Earhole team now. You're and, on television all over the world. Yeah. For people that are just learning about you, where can they tune in and find you? Uh, well, you can reach us anywhere. Uh, first of all, our website is TalkingPictures.tv. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're reconstructing that right now, but that should be up. Uh, we're on Facebook, talking, TV's Talking Pictures on Twitter. Talking Pictures, I believe, on uh, Facebook. Uh, all you have to do is just search for us and we'll pop up. And then um, uh, I just want to throw out something here because Cece's on her way to L.A. next week mm-hmm. to do a big comedy gig. So you can find her as well, Cece Chambers. Dylan Mazziotti is on Facebook as well. You can reach him. But go to our website and you can reach all of us through there if you want to talk to any of us. And then you're on the Morning Zoo Show once a week yeah, on right. 971 uh, yeah, com. Uh, I'm on part of the, the, the zoo page as well, Frankie and DB. People know me on my Friday interviews. ABC TV locally on yeah, Channel ABC 4. ABC 4, good for I, Utah. Good for Utah. Good for Utah. I'm on there with, with uh, twice uh, on, on Fridays, once on Tuesdays. That's going to be expanded a little bit, according to the new talks I'm in. And then, of course, we, you could find us anywhere, southern Utah, northern Utah, across the country, across the world. We're part of the Voice of America uh, Broadcasting, which broadcasts all the soldiers around the world. Uh, we have, I think, uh, 118 countries we're in and a total of maybe 130 million households that we actually reach through Comcast, through all of our, our uh, syndication. Well, you have an impressive career, sir. And I feel privileged to get to start to Stop learn it. from you. Stop so, it. You're <laughs> turning my head. <laughs> yes, sir. Where are you at, Johnny? Uh, uh, Johnny say you could uh, follow me at Johnny McKeon on Twitter and on Instagram. That's M-C-K-E-O-N. You can also hear me on air on Mix 107.9 from 6 to 10 a.m. on Saturdays. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful I see skies of blue and clouds of white The bright blessed days, the dark sacred night And I think to myself, what a wonderful